0: To say, I prefer the things that you have made over you. The things that you have made are better than you. The things that you have made bring me greater joy than you. That is the heart of sin. Spiritual deadness is an inability to perceive the beauty of God, the desirability of God, the majesty of God, the inability to rightly see God, which then inhibits us from reacting to God appropriately. Remember, we talked about the patellar reflex and we talked about the, the reflexes of the body, light, which makes the eyes dilate or, or heat, which makes the body sweat. There's these impulse, these reactions that our body has to stimulus outside the body. In a similar way, we are, if we are alive to God, we look to God and we see the beauty of a God who would sacrifice himself for the objects of his love, for his creation and we are enamored by the beauty and the desirability of such a God, and we react to that appropriately, like the knee-jerk reaction, we react to that with love, adoration, devotion, trust, obedience, following. That is the right reaction, That we, but in our deadness to God, we don't perceive Him rightly, and since we don't perceive him rightly, we therefore don't have the correct reaction to him. Our reaction is more like the reaction of Adam. When God comes to the garden, he runs and hides instead of running to God. So that was the big takeaway of last week, just to really understand what deadness means, what deadness to God means. That's going to be the fabric that we need as an underlayment, so to speak, the foundation this week for what Paul is going to say, say to us after he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So last week, if you recall, we looked at these words, trespasses and sins. And what I said last week was we'll not look at those in detail. We'll sort of set those aside and just take that to mean the totality of our sin. We talked about that meaning the sins that we commit knowingly and willingly as well as those that we might not commit knowingly or willingly. All that was lumped together in these two terms, trespasses and sins. And we said, that'll just suffice. We won't look at those two terms in detail. We won't look at the nuances of those terms. But by that, I didn't mean that we wouldn't look at them at all. I just meant that we'll put them aside until this week. So we need to really start by looking at these two terms, trespasses and sins, in order to really get a grasp on what Paul's saying to us. Okay, So he says, and you were dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So really helpful here are some definitions for actually three terms that we're going to look at. And these definitions I'm going to take from the teaching, the writings of John Piper. If you've read or listened to him much, in fact, much of what comes to us today is going to come from his teachings because his framework for understanding sin, sinfulness, and trespasses is, quite frankly, the, the best and the most understandable framework I've encountered. So uh, we're largely going to just kind of follow his framework of thinking through these verses. But in particular, we're going to look at how he defines these three terms. And these three terms will be helpful to kind of put into your into your pocket and have them, sp- not just for these passages before us, but for all of your New Testament readings. Okay. So the three terms that we're going to look at are the terms sin and sins. That, that term sin, I don't know of another term like it in which... In the plural, it means something completely, completely different than it does in the singular. Or maybe I shouldn't say completely different, but, but quite different. Quite different in the plural than the singular are its meanings. I don't know of another term that does that. So we're going to look at sin in the singular, sins in the plural, and then the word trespasses. So let's first look at the word sin in the singular. When Paul uses the word sin, singular, then what he means is this power or this force or this spirit that creates within us a preference for the earthly, the temporary, and the lesser over the eternal, the heavenly, and the greater. So that's what sin is by Paul's understanding. And Paul is the one far more than anyone else in the New Testament that's going to flesh out these deeper these deeper things of doctrine for us, particularly how we understand sin, particularly in the book of Romans. So the way Paul understands this term is the way that we should take it to mean. So when Paul speaks of sin singular, what he's speaking of is this deep preference that we have that causes us to have a bias against God and a bias against His kingdom and the things of His kingdom and have a bias towards or a preference towards the earthly, the temporary, and the lesser, preferring those things over the eternal things, the greater things of the kingdom of God or God himself. That is what Paul understands to be sin in the singular. So then let's now think about this, this other term, trespasses. Trespasses or transgressions means the same thing. So what a trespass is, is just like the word sounds, trespass sounds just like you've stepped off the path, right? And that's what trespass means. So there's a path that you're on, and if you step off that path, you're trespassing. You've gone outside of the space that you're supposed to follow or the space you're supposed to be in. Just like if somebody trespasses on your property, they've gone off the property that they're supposed to be on and onto yours. They've trespassed. So trespasses or transgressions means just that. It means stepping off the path. In the terms of the, of the biblical teaching here, what it means is those actions that are committed that are a violation, a direct violation of some specific command or law of God. So when God says to us, for example, thou shalt not, I don't know, murder, and we do murder, then that is a trespass or a transgression. It is an act that's committed against a specific command of God or the failure to do what God specifically commands. That's a trespass or a transgression. God has laid out the path and the path is His law and stepping off that path is to trespass against God in the sense of committing an act of sinfulness that is a specific violation of something God has said either not to do or that we are to do. So that's trespass. Now the last one is sins in the plural. So when we come across this word sins in the plural, what that means is an act of a violation against God that is committed that is not a violation of a specific command in God's law. So there are sins that are committed. And when we do this, we, we are acting upon this preference that we have for the earthly over the eternal, and we act on that that impulse, that preference, we express that desire, we express that preference by violating God's law. When we violate a specific law, it's a trespass, but when we commit acts of sinfulness that don't necessarily violate a specific law of God, then that's called sins. Now, understanding those three terms, I assure you, will greatly help you specifically when you read the book of Romans understanding those three terms will really make the book of Romans come alive for you and really help, especially the first six chapters, even the first three chapters. Remember how we said that verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2 in Ephesians are a summary of the first three chapters of Romans? In that sense, understanding how Paul understands sin, sins, and trespasses really opens up the first, like I say, six chapters of Romans. So now having that understanding, let's now look at what the Bible Says about this? How the Bible does the Bible hold this up for us? So take a look at Romans chapter five, verses twelve through fourteen. Therefore, just as sin in the singular, so just just as the deep preference for things earthly, things lesser, things created, just as, just as the deep preference for created things came in to the world through one man and death through sin, or death through that preference for earthly things, so death spread to all men because all sinned, or in other words, all committed acts of violation of God's righteousness, whether they were specifically against a specific commandment or not, because all sinned. For sin, again, that preference for earthly things, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, right? When did sin enter the world? Genesis chapter 3. The law was given, Exodus chapter 20. So clearly sin existed in the world before the law was given. And this is what Paul says. Sin or this ungodly preference for things earthly, for things lesser, this ungodly bias against eternal things and in favor of earthly things, this existed before the law, says Paul. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Or in other words, Sin is not a transgression where there is no law to transgress because a transgression is a violation of a specific command of God. So Paul says, well, there couldn't be transgressions. There couldn't be trespasses until there was a law to trespass. But what Paul is saying is there was still sin. Sin was still in the world. Man still sinfully in an ungodly way preferred the earthly and the temporary and the lesser over the greater and the eternal and the godly. So sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So Adam's sin became a transgression when God gives the law that specifically, called, that, that specifically outlined what Adam did in the garden to be a sin. That's so it becomes a, becomes a transgression at that point. So then take a look now at Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and verse 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. So the law increases the trespass. How? By defining what sin is, by outlining what transgression looks like. So as the law comes, the transgressions are increased because the law turns sins into trespasses because the law defines the law marks out how God's people should walk, how God's people should live. And so as the law outlines that and defines it, the, the transgressions, the, trans, the trespasses are increased because the law comes. Now, when the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So where the preference, where the bias against God increased, grace increased even more so that as sin reigned, reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin is this desire for things earthly, this, this desire. This is straight out of Romans 1. Sin is this preference for the created order, this exchanging of the glory of God for the lesser glory of creation, for the temporary glory of creation. Again, this is straight from Romans 1 verses 18 through 21. And this preference for things earthly as God gives His law, now produces trespasses or transgressions against the law. And where the law doesn't specifically state that that's a transgression, then Paul's going to say, well, those are sins. Those are still expressions of this preference in our heart against the things of God. So Scripture portrays sin as this slave master. It's not just this passive sort of preference. It's not just this weak desire in our hearts. But instead, Paul and Scripture always present sin as being this slave master, as this king, as this monarch, as this controlling type of force in the human heart, this strong, overpowering preference for things that are not of God, and instead preferring things—I'm sorry—preferring things that are not of God over the things that are of God. So look, to, look at Romans chapter seven and verse eight. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment. So sin. Sees the commandment and says, I can make sin greater. Because here comes the commandment, I can make trespasses, I can turn sins into trespasses. So sin seizes upon the commandment, and you see the language there seizing, grabbing, holding, not relinquishing. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. You see that we're with that, when it's raining, there's this obedience to the passions of the flesh, and there's this dominance that's exuded, this slave master type of position. Look at Romans chapter 6, a few verses later, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, just as you were once, once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you see you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end to eternal life. So you see there three times, Paul says, you were slaves to sin the sin that that enslaves and leads to death. Scripture always presents sin as an enslaving force. Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 34, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So now this slavery to sin increases, or I'm, I'm sorry, produces sins and trespasses. It produces those as we express this preference for things earthly. We have this deep, Preference, this deep bias towards earthly things. And as we express that, that is what then leads us into sins and trespasses. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. This is the passage right before the passage of the fruit of the Spirit. The counter, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, and Paul lists them here or lists some of them rather, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. All those things are specific violations of a commandment of God. So Paul calls them works of the flesh, or he could call them trespasses or transgressions. And then he sort of finishes the list saying things like these. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here he's saying there are sins, that are not a specific violation of the law of God, but there are trespasses that are, both of them are the expression of a heart that deeply prefers the earthly over the eternal. And as those are expressed, then that is the sinful acts and the sinful deeds, which Paul began by saying, this is what you were in. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So this great expression, this expression of the heart that prefers other things over than God, this, this finds its culmination, its greatest expression, in, of course, the sin of blasphemy. Blasphemy is the greatest expression or the greatest manifestation of a heart that has a deep preference for things that are temporary and lesser and earthly over things that are eternal. So that's what sin is. Sin is this power that causes us to prefer things that are created over the creator. Now that might not sound all that bad until we think about it for just a moment. The the sin of preferring the created things or anything in the created realm. So that could be stuff, that could be possessions, that could be accumulations, that could be positions, that could be statuses, that could be accomplishments, that could be anything. Anything in the created realm, the, pre- the preference of that over the kingdom of God or God himself is actually a very heinous sin. Let's think about this for just a minute. Let's just put it kind of in human terms to, to prefer what is created by the one who created it. Think of what an offense, what an affront that is. What a blessing this morning that Brother Mark has made these beautiful tables for our Communion elements, but what if I were to say to Mark, Mark, I mean, I could care less if you stay or go, but leave the tables, leave the leave the plates, leave the tables. You know, if you want to come back next week, that's fine. But I mean, what we really like are your tables. I mean, how ludicrous, how offensive to say I prefer something you made over you. This sheds new light, doesn't it, on the story of the prodigal son. That glorious, one of the greatest parables Jesus tells, the story of the prodigal son, who preferred something his father made, wealth, over his father. That's the essence, that's the root of the prodigal. The prodigal preferred something his father made over his father. What an offense to God. It is not flattering to God to say, God, your creation, your world is so beautiful. I just love it more than you. That's not a compliment to God. That's an offense to say, I prefer the things that you have made over you. The things that you have made are better than you. The things that you have made are more desirable than you. The things that you have made bring me greater joy than you. That is the heart of sin. And if you can really get your soul around that truth, then that will help you to understand how God views sin, to understand the offensiveness of sin, to understand how all sin is ultimately committed against God. We may prefer earthly things, and those earthly things cause us to sin against someone else. But ultimately, because God is the maker of all things, all sin is preferring earthly things over him. So all sin is an affront, is an offense to God. So this this may help us to see this just a little bit. So now, this heart that is alive to God does not prefer earthly things over God. It prefers heavenly things. It prefers the kingdom of God over earthly things. And the heart that is dead to the, or the heart that is dead to God and alive to sin sees in the earthly creation that which is more desirable than those things that are in the spiritual realm, or those things that are of the kingdom of God, or those things that are of God. So let's think for just a minute about one of the many places that this comes out, because this, this is another one of those truths that kind of once you see it, you'll start to see it in more places. But we understand these words from Matthew 6, what Jesus is going to say. But before we read those words, let's set the context and let's back up a little bit. And as we build up to the, what Jesus is going to conclude here in Matthew 6, listen to how he's using his illustrations to build up to his ultimate point. The ultimate point is... Being alive to God means you have a preference for God and His kingdom. Being alive to sin means you have a preference for for the created realm. So listen to the words of Jesus. Why are you anxious about clothing? Why is clothing so important to you? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these... But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Why is food so important to you? Why is what's on your table so important to you? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Those who don't know your father, those who are alive to sin and dead to God, have a preference for those things. Those who are alive to sin and dead to God pursue those things. And they express that preference in their acts of trespasses and sinfulness. But the Gentiles seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's his conclusion. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see how Jesus built up to that. And then his point is, that is the heart of being alive to God and dead to sin, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there is the, these stages of deadness to sin and, uh, and aliveness to God, right? Paul says to the, Rome, or to the Ephesians, you have been made alive to God. God's made you alive. You, you were once dead, now God's made you alive. But he says to the Romans, you must consider yourself alive to God and dead to sin. So in that sense, there, there is, there's a sense in which Jesus delivers us. The life that comes to us from God delivers us from this ultimate overall preference for earthly things, but yet there's this ongoing battle to increasingly prefer God over earthly things. We may prefer the things of God over some earthly things and not so much over other earthly things. And so we have this lifelong battle of, as Paul says, considering yourself increasingly alive to God and increasingly dead to sin. Or Psalm 34 and verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the process of growing in our faith. This is what we've been talking about for some time now. The work of the Holy Spirit is to teach you the deeper truths of your blessings and privileges in Christ. In other words, the more that you taste of God and see of His blessings and privileges, the more that you see that He is more desirable than earthly things. And therefore, the more alive to God you become and the more dead to sin you become and the more like Christ you become. That's how sanctification works. That's how growth in Christ works, is by the Holy Spirit increasingly opening our eyes to the truths of who we are in Christ, or as the psalmist put it, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good.